This is everything you want to know about non-clinical careers for physicians. For Third Evolution, I'm your host, Robert Pretty. Welcome to this edition of Non-Clinical Careers for Physicians. If you just started your campaign to move from clinical practice into a non-clinical career path, now you're looking at conference cancellations, travel restrictions, and a simple need to exercise some common sense when it comes to meetings and your networking strategy. And if you've read my book or listened to other podcasts, or if you've even called me for a hallway consult, you know my strongest recommendation for implementing a career change is networking. And by networking, I'm talking about meeting people, pressing the flesh, getting out there. No digital first impression can possibly be as good as in person, in the flesh. Yet, here we are. We are emailing people in the office next door, and major conferences and programs are being canceled or moved entirely to an online format. The concept of personal space is taking on new meaning, and in some countries, it's even being legislated. Well, as you well know, this will end. But... Now is now. This is the kickoff of the career change season, and you need to be taking action. So, back to networking. As you know, networking is critical to establishing solid contacts, to learning what's really out there, and to establishing a strong personal branding position. You can fill out job applications all day and accomplish nothing more than improving your typing skills. But one good networking event can open innumerable doors and provide you with unmatched information and insights about your newly chosen career field. How then do you keep your pace, keep on networking, and address the reality that face-to-face is likely more about FaceTime to FaceTime? So when I'm speaking with a client, my default networking process, when known contacts aren't literally waiting to be called, my default process is to identify meetings, conferences, seminars, Those events where experts in your chosen field gather to learn, to mingle, to share ideas, and hold on for this one, to network. But with that networking avenue being diminished for possibly the remainder of this year, or certainly at least the remainder of this career change season, what I'm going to discuss are methods and processes I've developed that usually augment those events. Now, today, they become primary activities, not secondary activities. So let's discuss some really effective strategies with an emphasis on two critical factors of networking. Number one, enhancing your personal brand. And number two, meeting new and interesting people. Before I begin, let me stress, none of these strategies are new, but they represent a reshuffling of the deck, you might say. I'm just reordering with a bit of redefinition networking steps that eliminate your need for face-to-face meetings. First, publish or perish. Yes, that's the old mantra of academics. It's also a highly successful method for you to separate yourself from others in the market and to gain traction and attention. It gives you an opportunity to promote your ideas and knowledge relative to your non-clinical career objective. Consider it an avenue to both brand development and to contacts. I've always recommended my clients look for opportunities to write and publish material whether in journals, online publications, major media, that is general circulation newspapers and publications, social media pages, blogs, and even on their own websites. Also, consider YouTube. You know what they say, a picture is worth a thousand words, so if you're adept at and comfortable in front of the lens, consider video publishing as well. Regardless, 
Publishing serves not only as a backup to other forms of networking, but right now, publishing should be moving to a more upfront position for you. Plus, while writing and publishing may be a primary tool today, it will always remain as a foundational strategy well beyond our current crisis. In other words, published material will be a further asset to your brand long after the pandemic subsides. So what should you be writing about and where should you be publishing? Let's consider the answer to what you should be writing in two ways. First, you want to be writing about subjects and topics that are supported by the accomplishments you list on your resume. Remember, all career communications should be viewed in the context of a political campaign. What that means is this, stay on message. Consider how you've planned and prepared to present your expertise to those you meet. That is the basis for your writing. And certainly, weaving in stories that are taken directly from your accomplishments and your core competencies listed on your resume both further your message and your message management. That only ensures that when others comment on your published work, you'll be ready to engage a thoughtful and knowledgeable discussion a discussion predicated on your stump speech and your resume. The second decision point relative to what and where to publish is context. Your writing must fit the medium in both format and context. The format necessary can be determined by both observation and inquiry. If you're looking to publish in an online journal with your own byline, the publication likely has publication criteria, both for format and any submission requirements. If you're looking at outlets that don't require prior approval, for example, responding to someone's blog, just look at what represents the usual approach for length, for scope, focus, and tone. Also, recognize that different online approaches appeal to different types of readers. If you're responding to a blog post, a 1,500-word document probably won't be read. Most blogs are fairly concise. Certainly, most blogs that are read are concise. However, with more formal publications, longer lengths are more likely. Always, if it's not free-form commentary, check for the publishing or contributor guidelines and requirements. Speaking to context, make sure your topic and your treatment of that topic fit within the existing approach or approaches evident from other material that's written. You shouldn't expect to get a warm reception to your article advocating for fossil fuel extraction via fracking in the Nature Conservancy's online journal. So make sure that you match your medium. Social media can be similar to blogging, to article publication, or to conversational commentary. Consider this the perfect time to work on your social media presence. From a business perspective, I would probably rank the top three resources as LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter. Certainly, if you have an established activity level with another platform, you should continue to develop that as well. The concepts to expand your presence are the same or similar on each, while each does offer very specific resources. Let's begin with LinkedIn. With LinkedIn, begin with your profile. Now, there's an old saying in the information technology world. It goes like this, easy to learn, hard to use, hard to learn, easy to use. LinkedIn is a really good example of this. LinkedIn has tried to make profile development idiot-proof or easy to learn. Therefore, it can be a bit hard to use and to 
mold and shape to represent what you really want to say about yourself. In LinkedIn, every box is labeled and marked. All you have to do is fill in the boxes by the definitions or instructions and you're all set, right? Well, not really. Here's the catch. If you're presently in practice, like about 80% of my clients, and you follow those instructions, you'll simply be presenting yourself as a physician in practice. Frankly, the more completely you follow the instructions, the more fully you will pigeonhole yourself in a very narrow field of practice. And that's not what you're trying to accomplish. This is what you need to do. First, determine what information about yourself you want people to know. In other words, what's important to your next step, your non-clinical career objective? Second, and this is very important, and a conversation I have with every client, determine what you're comfortable and safe to say in front of patients and colleagues. In other words, expect that your patients and your colleagues are going to see this LinkedIn posting. You don't want to create a LinkedIn profile that ignores your present responsibilities and positions. You want one that adds to them. Therefore, in your profile section, you have control over important descriptive information. In your headline section, you may want to begin with your present role, but then add descriptors that represent what you want to be doing. For example, if you practice emergency medicine, you may state that I'm an emergency medicine physician at your city hospital. Your career objective may be a quality consultant for an emergency services organization or consulting group. So after listing your ER role in that headline section, simply add a comma and state quality management and development. Now you've calmed the nerves of everyone you work with and all your patients, but you have also sent a message to anyone you send your LinkedIn profile to who might be requesting to better understand your developing career focus. Further, the next section, titled Summary, is an important opportunity to both say what you do briefly and then expand just a bit on what you want to be doing. Here you can take material from your resume, following the same example of an ER physician wanting to move into quality management role, and simply define quality management initiatives you've been involved in. Again, presenting yourself in this manner avoids confusing anyone you presently work with, but you are showing anyone you direct to your LinkedIn profile some of your background in quality management, as well as your present role. For the remainder, you decide how deeply you want to present your education and work experience. My usual suggestion is to simply ask yourself this question. What would my future employer want or need to know? Trust me, it's far less information than you'd be listing on your CV. Now, if you return to your homepage, you'll see at the top of the page you have the options to start a post or to write an article. I suggest trying both. However, I've found writing an article seems to get more attention. Both allow interaction, and each interaction is an important opportunity to network. Lastly, when you write an article, you are able to add hashtags to your writing to improve the article's searchability among groups in which you're interested. That's an important step. Don't overlook it. Effectively, it's free advertising. Lastly, if you've not searched through LinkedIn groups, you should. LinkedIn has thousands and thousands of groups that exist purely as affinity groups, professional organizations, 
social, public service, and meeting places. From your homepage, if you click in a search box, you'll get a list of options. Groups is one of those options. There is another option I'll discuss, companies, but first groups. Begin by searching groups by keywords that reference your desired career path or outcome. Be creative in your use of words and even in the order you type them in the box. Different words and different word arrangements will yield different results. When you begin, don't let this overwhelm you. For example, I just searched the word medical within groups and result tally was 24,323. If I add the word device to medical, I drop the results to 1,848. And add the word development to medical and device and now I'm dealing with a manageable 327 results. That's how it works. Next, visit the groups that look of possible interest. See if you can join or if you need to be admitted. Some groups do screen applicants. I do this for my groups which are intended to be physician only. A tip for considering the viability of a group. For example, it may have a great name and purpose and quite a few members, but if the newest post on a group's page is five years old, you're being told that while people have joined, they are not very active. That should not necessarily remove them from your list. You should just have different expectations. Remember, we're focused on networking. So you might achieve some worthwhile networking by posting articles. But if no one has for several years, then posting articles is unlikely to achieve your networking goal. But membership does give you access to a membership list and allows you to contact other members. Aha, another networking avenue, direct contact. This is where you use your, what I call a cold call letter of introduction and a request to speak. Lastly, in discussing LinkedIn networking, the company search tab. This search allows you to look at the company information, learn more about their public face, and these pages often list employees. So if you wanted to find a chief medical officer at a biotech firm, this might, stress the word might, be a resource. Now, LinkedIn offers many, many other features, job searches, resume posting, creation of your own pages and sites. But for now, I'm just focused on ramping up your networking activity as quickly and as easily as possible. So now let's move on to Facebook. Facebook is another resource that serves both the business community and every teenager, troll, conspiracy theorist, and wannabe, like wannabe literally anything in the world. But don't let that discourage you. Well, perhaps it should, but these are desperate times, and honestly, I have had clients achieve some positive results with Facebook. Just be careful. Because Facebook was established as a social rather than a business site, you'll likely want to separate any social presence from your professional one. You can do that simply by creating a new account. If you are already combining your social with your professional contacts, then you may find it useful to create a Facebook page as a subset of your main account, and then focus that page strictly on your business activity. Again, in doing this, be careful to manage or balance your current job with your career ob objective. There is never a value in burning a bridge intentionally or unintentionally. If you start a Facebook page or group, just go to the little inverted arrow at the top right in the blue menu bar and you can create or manage pages and groups. In doing this, you can then promote your postings. Facebook calls it boosting, but it's advertising. When you boost, you can select some demographics to better target your posts. 
but I find them a bit vague for my needs. Also, Facebook demands a larger audience than you might prefer. Let me explain what I mean. I've used Facebook boosting. My target audience is physicians, period. However, when I source each Facebook category relating to physicians, I'm told the group is too small to target. My only option then is to either not promote or to expand into demographics that really don't represent my primary focus. This is something I just really don't understand with Facebook, but it's their site, so they make the rules. I guess the advice is simply buyer beware. Lastly, I'll talk a bit about Twitter. For my business, I use Twitter postings to pull people to my podcast and my web. Since brevity is not my strength, trying to present complete or complex thoughts in a Twitter post, well, I just can't do it. Also, I'm talking about Twitter last because in the order of social media development, I would do it last. Start with LinkedIn, then Facebook, then Twitter. If you opt out of Facebook, then LinkedIn, and then Twitter. I'll explain why in a few minutes. But first, let's start with the basics. If you have a Twitter account, is it your professional account? If yes, fine. If not, start a new account. It's that simple. Next, look for people or entities, such as companies, organizations, or institutions to follow. This gets you in the game. Next, comment and post. Twitter drives by hashtags, so use them both freely and accurately. When I say accurately, I mean realize both what words and phrases mean to you, but also what they might mean to other people. There are nefarious characters out there. So why do Twitter last? I suggest an order predicated on the largest important audience with the greatest opportunity to actually connect and network first. And well, that's LinkedIn. But Twitter's real power is in its instant attention. It's quick, fast, it's now or never. You may recall how I said I used it the most. I use it to promote and link to my other material. That material may be a blog post on my web or a LinkedIn article or podcast. You can do the same. If you're using LinkedIn for branding, that is writing to establish your position and credibility in your chosen next non-clinical career field, then you can link your LinkedIn article to a Twitter post. Actually, and again, the reason to begin with LinkedIn and the reason to write articles in LinkedIn rather than simply posts is this. With a simple mouse click, you can link your LinkedIn article to both a Facebook account, page, or group, and to a Twitter account. It's nearly automatic, and it generates the opportunity for exponential viewers. That's getting you off the dime on social media for business and career development. Next up, conferences. What do you do when the conference you were planning to attend is canceled or delayed? First, you look at this as a unique opportunity. I'm actually fielding emails over the last few days with my clients who are facing just this situation. If you are registered for a conference, you may have received a packet that lists attendees, speakers, and sponsors. Those people are as disappointed as you are that they're going to miss an opportunity to manage their brand and their networking. They may not be using those terms, but when you think about it, that's a fact. You attend conferences to learn, and that's networking. You present and sponsor to extend your brand and to network. Networking and branding, that's what it's all about. If you have a conference email list of attendees, 
Sort it by organizations and titles. Whatever identifiers will help you find the specific people or person you want to connect with. If you have a list but no contact information, first request it. Frankly, that's the least the conference organizers can do. But if it's not available, you can still use the list to find people you want to speak with. Then find them on LinkedIn or perhaps through a simple Google search. Use your cold call letter predicated on your mutual conference attendance plan and establish a link. Don't, and let me stress, do not simply establish a LinkedIn connection and think you're done. Contact them in as personal a manner as you can. That means direct email, phone, or text. You can do the same with any speaker. Again, explain your interest in their topic, ask for a copy of their planned presentation, and then ask for a conversation. Vendors, well, they're always available to talk, but you might find some extra attention based on your shared link to the canceled conference. Lastly, and this links with the conference follow-ups, think about moving as many phone conversations as possible to video. Whether that video is FaceTime or Skype, WhatsApp, WeChat, the options are many. And it's really easy to connect when you see, for example, that FaceTime or Skype or another platform is highlighted on your phone. Simply say, I had really hoped we would have the opportunity to meet face-to-face. I noticed we both have FaceTime. Would you mind if we move this call to that platform? On many smartphones, any mutually accessible platform will be displayed and can be accessed. If you're not familiar with those features, play around with your phone and learn how. Or just ask your children or grandchildren. I'm sure they'd be glad to help you. But if you do make efforts to move to video platforms, make sure you manage your set. I specifically said your set rather than your office or your desk or your room because you should treat any video meeting or conversation just as you would a television broadcast. Remember, you're creating a first impression or displaying your ability to manage an impression during challenging times. The more professional you can appear, the more professional you will be perceived. Whatever environment you're in, manage your background so it's uncluttered and professional in appearance. Use a headset for better sound and buy or create a stable stand for your phone or tablet that keeps it steady and at the proper broadcast height. You don't want to be looking down at people when you talk to them. In this situation, consider you're managing both networking and branding. Always manage your brand well. You will find networking and brand management at distance takes considerable effort and focus. For that reason alone, it will separate you from others trying to enter the marketplace because they just won't expend the effort. But this will be effort that far outlives COVID-19. The foundation you establish through publishing, creating a more robust social media presence, and learning to connect in different and more creative and more personal ways, well, those efforts If you continue to develop them, they will pay dividends for years to come. As always, I welcome your comments and questions, and you can reach me at 720-339-3585 for voice, message, or text. For Third Evolution, this is Robert Pretty. Thank you for listening.